The content of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice, is for informational purposes only, and cannot be used in any legal capacity. Dr. John Sylvester, radiation oncologist, 21st century oncology, been doing brachytherapy since the mid-1980s on prostate cancer. And we have Dr. Brad Prestige. From Norfolk, Virginia, and I've been doing likewise brachytherapy, LDR brachytherapy for about the same period of time. Started out in the Air Force and now been doing the civilian sector for a lot of years. So what we're going to talk about now is outcomes data with prostate brachytherapy, in particular LDR prostate brachytherapy, and walk through some of the different experiences patients have with uh, brachytherapy versus, say, radical prostatectomy, and also brachytherapy versus external beam radiation. To start with, uh, Brad, if you can give us a basic overview of the SEND-RT trial. Sure. So the uh, SEND-RT is a randomized trial of um, uh, about uh, 300 men um, over a course of about 10 years. So it's randomized. It's multi-centered in Canada. And um, using primarily the, um, the, the Seattle pre-plan technique, uh, uh, unfavorable, very, most of them very unfavorable intermediate or high-risk disease. So there were some very, very aggressive types of cancers in there. And uh, they all got 12 months of hormone therapy. That's kind of the standard in Canada. But one arm was randomized to get just external beam. And it was a pretty decent dose compared to some of the older external beam studies. It was 78 gray and 2 gray fractions. And then the, uh, the combined arm was... Uh, was uh, radiation uh, externally to 45 gray, and then uh, a seed implant boost using iodine-125. And um, patients were followed, you know, out beyond 10 years, as I said. And uh, it's interesting to see that if you follow the curves out in terms of biochemical relapse-free survival, they don't look much different out to about three and a half, four years. And then all of a sudden the curves separate, and they keep getting more separate in favor of the combined arm. So... The, I think the takeaway lesson from that is uh, what I tell my patients. If you have a more aggressive disease, you need to be more aggressive in terms of your, your treatment, in terms of trying to deliver more dose or dose escalation. So that's why I think it works. Um, and the hormone therapy also, I think, is an important component to it. But the combination um, is for higher-risk patients. Is, is, I think it gives the best results of anything in the literature, better than any other modalities, better than surgery, certainly. Um, and uh, better than external beam alone. Uh, we've known for a long time that high-risk patients with external beam alone don't do a whole lot better than 50%, maybe 60 at 10 years. And, and th- these patients were doing, you know, high 85, high, you know, approaching 90%. Uh, right, relapse-free survival outcomes. And then, um, as, as you mentioned, the data goes out 7 to 10 years now on that, on that trial. And we see an improvement, dramatic improvement in relapse-free survival outcomes. We don't yet see an overall survival outcome. And some people ding the trial from that. But in your experience with other institutions, long-term single institution studies or the, say, SWOG study on adjuvant radiation after external after uh, radical prostatectomy, how long does it take usually to see survival? Yeah, you need, you, need to follow, you need to follow prostate cancer for a long time. Uh, so there's a couple of reasons why it didn't. I think it didn't show it. One is there, it needs to be longer follow-up, and there, there will be. I think that data will, will be forthcoming over the years. But the other is it wasn't powered for survival. Um, you need to have a lot of patients to see a difference in any kind of cancer treatment um, in terms of overall survival. And the other thing for overall survival 
uh, is uh, the competing uh, aging process. So, you know, a lot of men, you know, on average are in their 60s. When they're diagnosed, you follow them more than 10 years. You're past the, you know, the, the median age for most people to, uh, most men's life expectancy, so you get beyond that. So you have people dying of other causes. So overall survival may not be the, the right uh, parameter to look at. It may be more disease-free survival. Or um, time to salvage therapies. Sure. And so if you have a, a significantly higher risk of having a recurrent disease, then what happens to those external beam patients that then failed? Yeah. So um, metastasis-free survival is another important one because it's a big quality of life impact. It's not just impacting the duration of their life, but... Most of all those patients get placed on androgen deprivation, uh, many of them forever uh, until they die. And um, everybody knows it treats these patients. That, you know, my patients complain more of the hormone therapy than they do the radiation you know, when we give them together. So it's a huge quality of life impact. So I think that's a really important uh, endpoint is metastasis-free survival because if you can keep people or, or, or you can make it more specific, you can see, say, hormone uh, uh, delivery free survival. Um, people that can live longer without having to go on hormone therapy, I think, is a huge quality of life impact. Right. At least long term, because some of the, obviously these patients had hormones up front, right. but then they get off the hormones, testosterone comes back to feeling good, but then you go back on the hormones and they already experienced the downside of hormones. Some are very reluctant to do that. Yeah. And then um, another study, though, using really high-risk patients, was published in JAMA in March 2018 and took... Um, 12 centers, 1,800 patients, main major academic centers, and looked at the outcomes of surgery versus external beam and hormones versus external beam and brachytherapy, and looked at outcomes. Can you describe that? Yeah, and again, it was just not a randomized trial like the SEND was, but it was a retrospective series. And as you say, it was a big series from you know big centers that have a lot of experience treating prostate <clears throat> cancer. And again, the, the group that was uh, that had the best outcomes was uh, for these very high risk patients was the combined modality radiation arm combination external beam and seeds and hormone therapy. And what I found what was interesting with that is even though this, the study only went out about ten years, they actually saw a better overall survival in the patients getting brachytherapy, about a thirty percent better distant metastatic disease free survival and obviously a much better prostate cancer-specific uh, survival. And so that shows with the really super high-risk patients, yeah, uh, brachytherapy is critically important, which is kind of opposite of what you hear a lot of people say, that still a lot of urologists will say brachytherapy is only for low-risk disease. Mm-hmm. That's right. I think that I, I see that changing, at least in my practice. I think a lot of the community urologists and radiation oncologists are starting to realize with these SEND data and other data, like we're talking about, that, um, that, that the dose escalation, there's something to that, being able to dose escalate not just with external beam, but the biology of giving dose internally inside the prostate, I think, is vitally important. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of those hot spots in the peripheral zone yeah. that you get with brachytherapy is really doing a lot more work against the cancer than you might otherwise imagine. And then there's the R2G0232 study. Yeah, so which you've discussed before. Yeah, our 2 go 232 just took intermediate risk patients and it randomized them to uh, either brachytherapy alone or brachytherapy and external beam. And the theory at the time that the protocol was proposed was, you know, in the late 1990s, um, early yeah, late 1990s, 
was um, we weren't really sure with Gleason 7 cancers um, if they would do as well with, with brachytherapy by itself. Now, in the, in the interim, after it's taken all these years to accrue these patients, there's been a lot of other studies, uh, almost all retrospective, that have shown that patients, a lot of intermediate-risk patients do just fine with monotherapy. But uh, what this randomized trial showed um, was that uh, there was no difference in biochemical uh, failure. So the take-home from this, I believe, um, from this study is that uh, even with intermediate-risk patients, certainly not all of them, but uh, for many of them, um, and there were a lot of Gleason 4 plus 3s in that series, um, they they can do very well with a well-executed implant. So that, I think that's, again... You put that information together with the SendRT, even though they're different patient groups, what they have in common is that they show the value and the benefit of brachytherapy, that that's an important component of treatment. Right. And toxicity in terms of the R2G study? So it was a a little bit greater um, for a GU toxicity, um, very minor with GI, um, but it was not significant. It was a few, few percentage points different between the two. So a little bit of a trend to increase toxicity with combined with therapy. With combined, yes. Um, not statistically significant, but um, right. patients were able to avoid having to come into the clinic every day for five weeks if they had the, the brachia alone. Right. Right. And then there was a large uh, prostate cancer studies result group study that uh, Dr. Grimm and I first published in 2009 in the Red Journal looking at 14,000 articles and on prostate cancer over a 10-year period of time. What... Um, what we did is we eliminated those articles that weren't on results, eliminated the articles that were on results to only those articles that broke down the results by low, intermediate, and high-risk groups, and eliminated the articles that had less than 100 patients or less than five years of follow-up. And so this is around the Internet quite a bit. It was published in, the, in a real complete form later in British Journal Urology in 2012. And... Um, as, as you know, I think you were one of the co-authors on that, too. Um, it showed, uh, again, superior outcomes with the high-risk patients and the immediate-risk patients with brachytherapy. Low-risk, there was a lot of overlap. So it's kind of the opposite of what a lot of people still think, that brachytherapy is mainly for low-risk disease. If anything, you have a stronger argument for the intermediate and the high-risk disease for brachytherapy. And I think that's a valuable resource. I still I still bring it up often in my consultations with patients because it's updated every year. As you say, it's a you know it's a it's a pretty comprehensive effort. A lot of people are involved in doing these reviews, but it's updated, and so it's a value at any given time to go on the the website, which is prostatecancerfree.org. That's probably the easiest way to remember it, um, and you can you can compare by your risk group. Uh, you know, all the different modalities. It's the only place I know on the Internet where you can do that um, in an unbiased way. You can get all the, all the data there. And it's very clear when you do that, uh, just just even... That's why I have some of these graphs I have laminated um, to sh- show my patients. I use them so much in my consultations and show them the, 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 the patients and uh, studies that show the best results uh, almost all contain, especially for the intermediate and, and high risk, all contain brachytherapy either as monotherapy or combined therapy. Exactly. When I go over all my consults with my patients, I've got a, uh, about a 20-slide PowerPoint presentation that's on paper form and color with two slides per paper, so mm-hmm. we don't 
kill too many trees. Mm-hmm. But uh, it goes over the various options, the parting tables, how you do brachy, how you do external beam, and then we get to the results. And we have a, a graph that goes over the top centers in the country, what their results are. And then the Ascend RT trial, of course, the JAMA article we talked about, mm-hmm. and the prostate cancer comparative you know, uh, results group outcomes in their nice colored stars and circles and everything. And it really gives people a good visual on what the outcomes are. Yeah, some, some and then people. After that, toxicity. Some, some people really find that helpful. I mean, not everybody does, but some people that, you know, like to, like to see data. There are a lot of them are out there, you know, surfing on the internet trying to find information anyway, and they may or may not come across this website. So I recommend it to most all of my patients to take a look at it. Right, exactly. Any other important studies that are really groundbreaking that we didn't discuss? Uh, no, it's you know, it's hard to come by randomized uh, data for prostate cancer in general, but for brachytherapy specifically. Um, you know, we're going to continue to follow the ones we've talked about. We're going to continue to follow them as they mature. So I think they'll continue to yield, you know, bear fruit for us in terms of helping us make decisions about recommendations for, for patient care. Um, I think it'll be interesting to follow that um, Princess Margaret data that was presented this morning, yeah. looking at external beam versus LDR. Yeah. yeah, hypofractionated external beam versus LDR brachytherapy showing uh, an advantage in not only biochemical relapse free survival and PSA nadir, but also in distant metastatic disease free survival. Yeah. With uh, follow up, that's pretty good, but it's going to get better. Those, those kind of uh, people realize how difficult randomized trials are in general to pull off, but especially with prostate cancer. I'm not sure that's a study we could ever do in the U.S. Um, or to randomize patients. They, they usually want have an opinion after they do their own education and learning about whether they want brachy or, or they don't want brachy. Exactly. We tried to do the uh, the SPIRIT trial right, and um, couldn't get people to sign up to it. Even in Canada, they couldn't pull it off. Try, I know. Yeah. They had to do uh, kind of a pseudo Yeah. That's a study there. Yeah, but the difference between the modalities is so stark in that one, I'm not surprised. But, but even with even with two different types of radiation, I think that would be difficult. But so, uh, you know, my, I commend the Canadians for doing it. I think it's a, it's a valuable study that we'll follow. All right.